I remember we were uh, taking a trip to Zurich one time, my whole family, and we had different seats on the airplane. And um, when you fly into JFK in New York City, the uh, there's this weird thing where you have to jump in a bus and then go across the airport to the international terminal before you fly international. And uh, my wife had packed everything for a two-week trip to Europe in an overnight, in a carry-on bag, which I know a lot of you are going, how is that possible? I don't know, but God bless my wife. She, she's a small packer. So she just had this black carry-on bag, grabbed the bag. We're in the bus going across the terminal. And she looks at me, she says, Ken, I grabbed the wrong bag. And so she looks inside the bag and it's a, some man's clothes. So we get to the terminal and she goes up to the gal working at the little stand there who couldn't have cared less and says, oh, I'm sorry. So we get on the plane and we explain it to the stewardesses and they're like, there's nothing we can do. And there's no way that person's going to be able to get here on time. And, um, so I had just gotten done explaining to Elliot that Zurich is one of the most expensive cities in the world. And my wife does not like to spend money. And so one of the flight attendants says to her, Oh, don't worry about it. Um, it's great. Cause now you get to go shopping in Zurich, which of course didn't have the effect on my wife. The flight attendant thought it would. And so we go get in our seats. There's nothing we can do. When all of a sudden Elliot comes up to me, cause I'm in a different seat on the plane and says, I've been praying about this. I'm sick. God says, tell Ken he could do something. And she said, and I said to God, what's Ken going to do? And I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> so I get up now. I got to save my wife and I got to get rid of her, uh, you know, her opinion that I can't help her. So I walk up, I ask to see the captain of the plane. Captain comes out and uh, I said, here's the situation. He says, you know, we can't delay an entire plane full of people to get your wife's bag back. And I'm like, man, there's gotta be something we can do. Apparently the guy who had had gotten her bag had called and, and was trying to get to the, to the plane. And he says, there's nothing we can do. And I said, you know, um, I was uh, appointed to Naval flight school when I was in the Marine Corps. Oh, you were, he says, gets all interested. And I said, yeah, but I turned it down to become a Los Angeles police officer. You were a Los Angeles police officer. And I said, I'll bet you were a military pilot. Oh, I was in the air force. And so for five minutes, we're telling stories. I tell cop stories. He's telling me fighter pilot stories. And all of a sudden he looks over at the flight crew and says, this plane does not leave until this man's wife has her bag. We're waiting. So the whole plane waits for another 20 minutes. Her bag shows up. And so I go proudly go back and give her her bag. And she said, how in the world did you get my bag? And I said, baby, don't ever underestimate the value of male pride. And I meant by that both the pilots and mine. Because, uh, I mean, the idea that she thought I couldn't get her bag back, I was going to get that bag back no matter what. Now, male pride, I mean, it could be a good thing culturally. Male pride is the kind of thing that can result in chivalry and, um, you know, all kinds of great stuff like that. But in the kingdom of heaven, no pride has any place. Now, it's important that we differentiate between pride and confidence. Those are two different things. But as we talk about male pride or any other kind of pride, we talk about the need for there to be that time when we go out and we have a good cry. And the, the barely the beginning of that story is the is the Apostle Peter. And we look at Peter and you look at a man there who was absolutely the template of what we think a Christian man should be. Peter was the one who got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. Peter was the one who said, you are the son of God. Peter had given up everything he had 
to follow Jesus. Peter was the epitome of a good Christian. And Peter had a giant fall because Peter had great confidence in himself. His pride was very large. <clears throat> we see Peter sitting in the garden. Imagine if you're Peter and Jesus has told you, you're the rock, you're chip off the old block, you're rocky. I mean, Jesus brings him up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He is one of the three really inner circle disciples. And at the last supper, Jesus says to Peter, you're gonna deny me three times, Peter. And Peter says, are you kidding me? I would die for you, Jesus. And we see Jesus in that garden, as, or excuse me, Peter in that garden as Jesus is, is gone and he's, he's pouring his heart out to the Father. He knows the absolute misery he's about to go through. And I tell you, we get it wrong. The, the physical pain that he went through is, is horrific, but it was nothing compared to the spiritual pain he went through. Imagine Jesus took on every sin that every believer ever committed from the beginning of time. Imagine the worst you've ever felt, the guilt, the pain from some sin you committed. Now imagine that increased by every sin you ever committed and then by every believer who's ever existed on the face of the earth. Imagine that pain coming on Jesus, which is what caused Father to turn his back on him and Jesus, that just took him and it killed him. So Jesus is about to go through a torture that we can't even possibly imagine. And he knows that and he's sweating blood and he comes back and he finds his beloved disciples sleeping. But finally, when those soldiers come up, Peter's ready. He's gotten that sword that Jesus saw and Peter rips that sword out and he's not trained swordsman. He swings it and he takes the ear off of that um, slave boy and Jesus heals him. But Peter's ready to fight. You're not going to touch my Jesus. He is filled with confidence. But then imagine as Peter, as everyone runs away, including Peter, and then he follows in the distance and he sees where they take Jesus and he's in that outer circle. And Peter denies Jesus three times. And the last time, Peter sees Jesus look at him with a look of love. And Jesus leaves and Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. Now also imagine the feeling Peter had as the next time he sees Jesus, Jesus's dead body is being taken down from the cross. He knows what his master has gone through. And the last time he saw Jesus, Jesus saw him denying him to save his own skin. Imagine the feeling that Peter had when he was told the grave was empty and he ran to the grave and saw it empty. And then Jesus appears and there's this great hope, but also this horrible condemnation and feeling of brokenness on the inside of, I denied him, I denied him. And 40 days goes by. Jesus has now appeared to 500 people. He's appeared to the disciples several times and nothing's been said about what went on. And finally, as Jesus is getting ready to ascend, he meets with Peter out there on that beach by the lake <clears throat> and restores Peter and lets him Peter know, hey, you and I are okay. But in order for Peter to get there, he had to be broken. He had to weep bitterly. So often you and I need to be that same way. We've got to get rid of all confidence in self and have all of our confidence be in what the Lord will do through me. And that requires us to be emptied out of self. Every day we have the choice. Will I choose Christ or will I choose self? Every day, every moment. And we get to a level of discipleship where that choice gets involuntarily made all the time. I choose Jesus, I choose Jesus. Or we are not disciples and involuntarily is always choosing self. But in order for Peter to get to that point of choosing discipleship, he had to fall. And the greater your confidence in yourself, the harder your fall will be. And I can tell you from personal experience, I've had some times 
where the Lord has just had to rake me through coals. And it's taken sometimes months of just grinding it down to get to the point of, will you empty yourself out of self-confidence and will yourself, will your confidence be in me? We see in Peter, imagine the pride. He has just called Jesus the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. And the very next moment he's rebuking who he thinks is the son of God. Imagine the amount of pride that would take. Imagine the amount of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are brought up in this incredible moment where he's able to see the veil of, of this world torn. And there's Isaiah, excuse me, there's um, Elijah and there's Moses, the prophet and the law together with Jesus. And what does Peter say? Hey, let's make three temples for you. He thinks he's doing Jesus an honor. Jesus, I'm gonna make you an equal with, with Elijah and Moses not realizing the horrible heresy of that statement, that this is God. He created those two. They're nothing compared to him in the presence. Peter's still missing who it is whom he's serving, the great honor and privilege he has. And that's this thing that all of us have to get to. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And how many pastors do I see compromising scripture, changing scripture to meet their worldview, which shows a lack of respect for God's word, it shows a lack of fear of the Lord. It shows a pastor who has not fallen, who has not gone out and had that cry of a lack of, of complete disintegration of pride. And sometimes some of us have to go through that more than once. There's three points I wanna bring out as a sign of godliness that comes from going out and weeping bitterly. And the first one is you may be someone who loves Jesus very much and loves God's word very much, but also in whom the sense of self is very strong. And as that sense dies, you'll understand that you are a man of God. So there are three signs that we have reached a level of godliness that comes after we've gone out and wept bitterly. The first one is you can be an earnest believer who loves God very much, who is a really good Christian in whom the sense of self-confidence is very hard. Remember, Peter had cast demons out. Peter had done and seen miraculous healing. Peter had been at the very echelon, highest echelon of what it meant to be a great believer. And his fall was very, very hard. As confidence begins to go from self to Christ, that is the first sign of discipleship and godliness as a man of God. Because men, in men, we see that male pride of, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Remember, we have to get rid of ego. And ego is any kind of confidence, trust, or obsession in self. It was C.S. Lewis who said, that humility is not thinking less of oneself, it's thinking of oneself less. I think that nails it right there. But as we understand that we have a mission to accomplish, Ephesians 2.10, works that God created at the beginning of time for us to accomplish. And we were gifted specifically to accomplish those gifts. When we understand the gifts have come from the Lord, they're not your good looks or your height or your athletic ability or where you went to school or what your family name is or any of the things that we tend to take identity from. Rather, our identity comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes there has to be a great breaking before that can happen. Number two, our father is gracious. He's always teaching his children and he will continue to use you even as he reveals your unhealthy reliance on self. You may be accomplishing great things for the Lord Jesus Christ, but that does not mean that you don't have too much reliance on self. And how many pastors have we seen fall? How many Christian workers have we seen have really bad moments, even though they were doing great things for the Lord. I, I bring up Ravi Zacharias, someone from whom I had great respect while he was alive. And the things that we found out about him after he died were, were terrifying. Who, who could think that such things could be? 
you can be very talented in the kingdom of heaven and you can also have great sin in your life. If that occurs, you will either have a very terrible death like a Rabbi Zacharias, or you will have a very terrible moment of being broken, of going out of weeping bitterly because our Lord is worried about the process. He will never, no matter how great the call on your life, he will never allow you to go there without working on who you are as a person. So much the world is worried about the means justifying the end. Our Lord is really worried about the means. Our God is interested in every second of every day of the process. We think in terms of finishing the project, the end goal. Our Lord thinks about the entire process of holiness all the way through. Number three, just because God's using somebody else doesn't mean the selfishness, a love of money, lust, don't still reign in their lives. And I bring that up to say this is such an important point is you've been broken. You'll start to realize you cannot rely on other people. All people are sinners. All people are fallen. By God's grace, the more that they've become disciples, they become sanctified, the more steady they are. But if we put our faith in other people, and this is a problem, it's an epidemic, especially in America, where we have a celebrity culture. If you look to the person on the stage, or the person who runs the big ministry, or the person who wrote the, the book, or the person that you love the way he speaks so much, and if you look at him as your template to heaven, you will be let down and you will be disappointed. And also, don't you be that person, because understand, especially the pastors out here taking this course, as people look to you, they will have that same impression of you. And it is very important that you don't have fake humility, but real humility, telling them, keep your eyes on the cross, not on people. It's very important. And it's also a very human nature thing to look for human beings. Remember that when, when Moses and Aaron were up against the, the, the mountain, the mountain shaking with the presence of God, and God says, I want to make Israel a nation of priests. And the people of Israel say, no, 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 we, we don't want to be priests. God's scary you, Moses and Aaron, you go talk to God and we'll talk to you and you be our intercessor. And how much do we see that even today where going to God can be a very scary thing. It is important, pastors, point people to Jesus. Don't point them to yourselves. It is a temptation as you get bigger, as your church gets bigger, to want to be worshiped. It is part of the sinful nature of every human being. You must reject that. And if God loves you, he disciplines his sons whom he loves, you will have a massive fall. You will have hard times in your life if you don't humble yourself, get rid of self-confidence, and look strictly to Jesus. But we also remember what pride is, and pride is any kind of obsession on self. So it doesn't necessarily mean thinking you're really great. It may mean thinking you're really lowly. It may mean being filled with bitterness. It may mean putting yourself down or being shy or um, you know, there's a new movement of pastors out there who never meet their congregation or go out, they come out and speak and they disappear and they say, well, I'm an introvert. That's pride. Pride is anything that doesn't allow us to put Christ first and put others before our own interests. If you're a pastor and you're an introvert, get over it. Get out there and be in the foyer, shaking hands and asking people how they are, looking them in the eye. And if you do that, you risk somebody telling you how they would have done your sermon better, and they will or someone puking all over you with their problems of the day. And they will do that too. And that's part of being a pastor. But part of being a man is understanding that it is never okay for me to obsess on myself. You may have had a bad life. You may have had a great life. You may have come number one in your seminary class. You may have come out at the bottom, but whether you think poorly of yourself or highly of yourself, neither one of those things are acceptable in the kingdom of God. You have value because the father loves you. 
your identity needs to become more and more focused on Jesus Christ. Male pride has no place in the kingdom of heaven. Confidence does. You can't be humble if you're not confident, because if you don't think much of yourself, then it isn't much to try to be humble. Your confidence needs to come in the fact that God specifically called you to good works and gifted you for those good works. And whatever you accomplish through him, it's okay to be excited and happy seeing the results that we put out in God's kingdom. But it is never okay to eternalize it or say, I did that. Let's give all glory and take all of our confidence from the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that we're loved by him.